Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. I have full belief in the squad that we have here that on our day, we are the best team in the country, 100%. That was the reaction of John Kennedy after a 6-0 win over Livingston at the weekend. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. We're looking back at that game and asking whether or not John Kennedy is on to something or if he's absolutely completely bonkers. Ma, Juco James, hello, how are you? Good. I'm, I, some people might think he's on something, just generally. Well, <laughs> Perhaps no, he is. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That that was you teed that one up. I had to take that one, even if it's completely a ridiculous statement. He is high on life, as I say. Alan Morrison, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah. Hi. So Celtic six 0 Livingston. It uh, exceeded our expectations here on the huddle breakdown, or at least ex- exceeded my cautious ambition that Celtic might score two or more goals in that game. James Forrest got one. El Unisi got two. David Turnbull and Ryan Christie got a goal and there was an OG as well in a pretty s- standard, solid, really impressive Celtic performance in a way and something that we came accustomed to watching last season. But this seem, seems to be where we're back to that level now under John Kennedy. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I was very impressed with Celtic at the weekend. So we'll get into the breakdown then. I don't know if Alan or James, which one of you want to kick off the analysis of this game? Well, I think J- James called it. You know, he said that Celtic were due to score a load of goals. I think he went 4-0. So I think you've, you've earned the right to go first. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I'm not used to that in my life. Um, yeah, I, I thought that the uh, the matchup was a tough one for Livingston, um, particularly if they came out and tried to have a go, as they say, which I, I don't know, Alan, what you think. I think they did. I think they weren't. Uh, this was not a... Uh, park the bus backs to the wall um, tactical setup from Martindale. So as I kind of expected, if they went that route and um, we set up with uh, the the type of quality that we still have with a little bit more coherent uh, 
uh, game plan that uh, in possession base that we could carve them open. And to a large degree, I think that's basically what happened. Um, and as, as Alan said, we had some good finishing for, for a change. Um, so that, that certainly helped. Um, so my, the thread I did after the game, I, you know, it was great. I mean, it was, it was a terrific game. It was a terrific entertaining product for a change, which has been, uh, not the norm this season. Um, I think that the, uh, I, I'm a little more cautious as far as drawing conclusions from it because of the specifics, meaning that. I think it's reasonable going into the game that um, we could give them a doing, as they say. And the fact that we did is great and wonderful, but I'm not sure it changes a lot heading into uh, into the weekend here for, for the cup game. Um, so there was a lot to take from it that was positive, uh, but uh, I wouldn't get too excited. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> well, there's only a certain amount of season that we can get, get excited about and all of all of the parts that we had to, you know, get through in terms of it being miserable are over. So maybe we can get excited for the last four weeks of the season, and maybe that excitement might be ruined at the end of this week. But I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty good display from Celtic. And again, one player that we did mention before the game as somebody who, you know, when he's playing in a coherent system, when he knows his role, uh, he is a really good talent and really dangerous player. And that was Moyel Yunusi. And I think we saw that again in this game. The, the role is defined for him up front with Alton Edward, and he can cause teams real danger. Yeah, no, he, he had, a, he had a, a super game. I mean, listen, it was fun, right? <laughs> and, and we've not been able to say that since we've started this uh, this podcast uh, where we started it in the death throes of, of Lennon's reign, really. And it's been a bit difficult to kind of up it from, from being quite critical week on week. So this was great fun. This was a great improvement. On, on what we've seen, and listen, I, and I'm not just saying that. You might think, oh, that's that's obvious because you know one six nil. But actually, I really enjoyed the first thirty minutes. The first thirty minutes, we had one shot at goal, <laughs> but actually, um, I thought it was great fun. I thought it was great fun the way Livingston had set up, the way that they went, you know, the man to man orientation. They pushed the really high line up and they pressed really aggressively. And what was fun for me was not only the fact, that, you know, the 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 effort and the the game plan that they brought to the table, but actually how Celtic then tried to uh, to counter that I thought was great fun as well in in, in the in the first half both Ayer and McGregor uh, completed five carries uh, that took out a lot of players from the game uh, as the uh, and, and, and the way that uh, you know I felt sorry for Pittman um, you know trying to, trying to chase after McGregor that half and in fact if I was Pittman who's played nearly every minute of every game for Livingston Martindale's post-match comments about yeah, he basically threw the players under the bus. Said it was an unacceptable performance. I'd be absolutely, yeah, I'd be absolutely seething because you know Martindale set the team up that way, right? What did he expect? <laughs> you know, and and yet he threw the players under the under the bus. So, but, but let's focus on on Celtic. I mean, you know, just things like uh, the number of through balls. We attempted nine through balls in this game, uh, and again, this was all down to trying to beat that press, trying to beat that high line. We actually saw some great decision making. Now, not 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 all of those through balls, uh, nine nine failed through balls is what I meant to say, which is actually much higher than any other game. Now, you know what you say? Well, what's where's the benefit in failing to to, to complete through balls? It's, it's the fact that we were trying different um, strategies to break down this team, and that and that and that sort of um, decision making to, to attempt different strategies. You know, run with the ball uh, or or try a long pass occasionally, allied to moving the ball quite quickly uh, when we had possession. Was actually really fun to watch because it was. I guess what I'm saying is there was variety to the way that Celtic attacked. 
Mm-hmm. The other, the other thing that I felt was really noticeable uh, as an improvement, and this is where perhaps uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic than James in terms of, you know, are we actually on the right road? Are we actually progressing and moving forward? Is is the movement? Is the off the ball movement was to me far superior than what we've seen in so many games, and and that can be evidenced in the fact that um, again I talk about packing. So packing's got, as I keep saying, a, a packing a packing pass. Uh, a forward pass that takes players out of the game has is, is obviously got two sides of that transaction. You've got the passer and you've got the receiver. So, you know, the receiving, if you track the receiving data for who's receiving the ball, that gives you an indication of who's who's finding space beyond um, the opposition players. It's quite a good proxy for for movement uh, off the ball, right? So El Yunusi uh, actually had a, a packing score of over 100, over 103, which is fantastic. There was another um, four players that got over 50, uh, Forrest, Turnbull, Taylor and Kenny. So the two fullbacks, the two wide players and, and, the, and the number 10. And those are exactly the sort of players you want to be getting on the ball mm-hmm. in that, when you're playing against that kind of system. So I thought that was, I thought that was a, a really interesting uh, improvement because if you look at the, um, rec- the receive score, let's call it the, re- the packing receive score, let's call it, uh, the average pre-Kennedy was was 314. Now, I appreciate that 314 number doesn't mean a lot to people. It's a bit of an abstract thing. But if I tell you that post, you know, since Kennedy's taken over, that number's 432, that's gone up a considerable percentage. That means mm-hmm. that since Kennedy's taken over, the movement and the and the ability to receive the ball forward passing uh, has gone up dramatically. And I think, I do think there's a stylistic thing there. I do think it's because there's less just get the ball forward and a lot of direct play. There's actually more, it's more measured in that you're trying to find a forward man, but there's better movement as well. Now, some yeah, of that might, sorry, go on. Sorry to interrupt. Just to explain that to anybody who's listening who, might not understand the concept so if you imagine for example there's a triangle going on and John Joe Kenny's going down the right hand side they play it into the middle and say Cal McGregor David Turnbull plays the ball in behind the defense takes two defenders out that's what a pack pass is and then when he receives that that's that's the receiving of that pack pass Exactly, and the score and the scores that I'm talking about are the aggregation of oh, you took out two defenders. A defender is worth three points. A midfielder is worth two points. A forward is worth one point. If you start taking your know, defenders out of the game, you, you, you're getting three points for every one of them. So that's what that score is. But but actually, so this 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 sort of pack packing score, uh, it was actually the highest of the season, other than the Falkirk game. And and actually, if you think about that in the context of the the approach that Livingston took, which is a very high defensive line and very man-to-man orientated in midfield, that's actually really difficult to achieve such a good score against that that strategy. I think if you think about the games, um, this was a strategy that um, McInnes adopted for Aberdeen in, in many games. And if you look back at the stats for those games, Celtic often struggled to actually you know connect and to and to to work their way through that that pattern. Now, obviously, Livingston's players aren't as good, uh, but nevertheless, uh, I, I thought that was a real uh, a real a real coherence and as I say so mm-hmm. for me the possession based football was there which uh, I, I just think, but, but also there was purposeful passing and there was better uh, better movement so so for me that that was all um, all really positive and I think just you know from a non-stats perspective we looked really confident and we mm-hmm. looked comfortable in the shape that and the system that we we're playing and I think Forrest Nell you see being in their natural positions and tending to to, to come in inside and I think you know Kenny looks more and more comfortable now. I've not been really very convinced by him, but he's, he's looking increasingly comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and his connections with Forrest uh, and with Welsh behind him, actually, uh, were, were, were really sort of, uh, you know, 
together and organized. So that, that was encouraging. Yeah, and I, I spoke about this performance on the Monday agenda and somebody replied to it saying, come on now, is Livingston, you have to put this into context. But I mean, we did two podcasts in a row against Livingston that both ended in draws and they were a lot, a lot far away from where, where this performance was at in terms of the attacking and, and even just the general control of the play. I mean, that, that 2-2 game, um, Livingston were deserving of that game if not deserving to win it so this is how far we've come James general thoughts in this game and uh, the performance uh, yeah so I actually don't disagree with anything Alan said I think that my when I say don't get too excited I'm meaning specifically versus um, Rangers so because uh, the, the, I, I think that there is a ton to be excited about relative to the non-Rangers games remaining I Meaning that I, you know, this is part of the reason why I argued for Kennedy to replace Lennon uh, the day after the Ferrance Faros loss <laughs> um, was, you know, basically uh, getting back to a coherent kind of competent setup. And I think that that was reflected in in uh, that that performance against uh, Livingston. I think the question is, and and that should carry over against the St. Johnston. I mean, teams that just don't have the quality. Uh, if we are coherently set up to give us major problems, again, you're still going to have one-off game randomness, and you know you can still lose a game because some, you know the other team scores on two shots from 25 yards. I mean, anything can happen, as we always say in one game. But as far as just kind of probabilistically, I think there is a lot to be excited about. But the practical reality is those are all dead rubber games, and there isn't really much in those games. So really, we're talking about two games left in the season, um, unless we beat. Rangers this weekend. And I, I think mm-hmm. my concern is more so the scalability of those positives specifically against Rangers. And I'll give you an example of that. So that metric that Ranger or that uh that Alan referenced as far as the, that pack score on the receiving end of that, one of the major problems that we've had playing four, two, three, one against Rangers is the people that we have playing number 10 and uh, Edward, and I noticed that's a separate issue I'll come back to with Edward because I think he was a glaring um, uh, miss from that list of people that Alan referenced at, at over 50, um, is between Edward and who we've played at 10 versus Rangers narrow 4-3-3. They just have not been adept at receiving the ball in space because there isn't as much space because they're playing that narrow 4-3-3. Uh, and then turning and doing something with it. So, I mean, how many times have we seen Christie, even if he's playing as the right, the nominal right wing in a four-two-three-one, coming inside as kind of an inverted forward, an inverted winger as a forward, you know, getting ball to feet and then losing possession. I mean, our our turnover rate, the the lost possession rate relative to that narrow four-three-three when we've played four-two-three-one has been, you know, a shit show, quite mm-hmm. frankly, with the personnel. Um, so my, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that I'm thinking about is that, um, you know, I think the McInnes analogy is a good one, meaning that, uh, Aberdeen played has have, under McInnes consistently played that man-to-man marketing, o- marking only not quite as intense pressing, I would say forward, uh, which again was why I think Martin, um, uh, Martindale's, um, tactics were basically leading lamb to a slaughter. <laughs> Um, in, in a way. Uh, so yeah, that, that's the context of my comments. And I think, you know, generally speaking, there, there was a lot to be positive about. It's just the question of how much of that is going to be, 
um, translatable, let's say, uh, relative to what our personnel options are. And again, we don't know if when we'll have a separate show on this um, as far as forest being fit and whatnot. But um, mm-hmm. so that that's more so my apprehension. Yeah. Before we move on to the boy of the match and the duffer of the match, then 6-0 is obviously a very flattering scoreline for Celtic. Did DXG reflect that, Alan? Uh, so I had it at about 2.86, but the post-shot XG, which is essentially the XG that the goalkeeper faces, so these are the shots that kind of make it onto target, was 5.15. So, you know, McCrory let in six. Model said he should have let in just over five. So he actually still made five five saves. So uh, I think it was a pretty effective performance from Celtic in that regard. Yeah, the first goal in particular, I think he could have probably done a little bit better with him. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's this it, it scuffs. No, I'm not sure no, if he expects I, a scuff. I disagree. I, I disagree. Having scored many of those goals myself, that that's. I mean, the keeper has got no chance there. I mean, Forrest is really close to him. Okay, right. and then he's not expecting that. He's not expect, expecting a wee dunter into the ground. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's because he's cussed him. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. one of those uh, ones that uh, the the commentator would have used the cliche that if he caught that any better, it probably um, it probably wouldn't have gone in. You know, yeah, what if I mean? he caught if it he, flush, it straight at the keeper. But yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was an excellent finish. I'm, I'm seriously, I enjoyed that goal a lot. Mm. <laughs> Well, I think you're I think you're on your own there because uh, <laughs> it was definitely the worst goal of the game. But I suppose we'll move on to the uh the boy of the match and the duffer of the match then. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna judge that we're starting with the positive. We're starting with the, the man of the match because it was a six 0 win. So we're not we're not going negative on this one. Who wants to take this one? Well yeah. go ahead, Alan. No, no, go, please. Well I, I I've been fairly uh tough on Welsh. Um, but I'm going to give it to him because um, I, I th- and, it, and it it allows me to uh, comment on you know it's always good to see a, a young guy get a, a long term contract. So I think personally for him, he just signed a four year deal this week. Uh, you know, congratulations. I mean, that's a big big deal for somebody his age. Um, so I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that he's been a you know, or there shouldn't be any doubt. It seems from an outside perspective that he's been a vigilant, hardworking person this season and tough, uh, thrown into a kind of a tough spot. So I think relative to that context, he's, he's done a really great job. Um, one of the things that I've talked about is given his physical profile and kind of his issues in the air is, you know, longer term, if he's going to be a Celtic level um, center back, I'd like to see significant development on the ball progression side, his ability to pass, you know, to move the ball in the midfield to, to get up a, a good score. Let's say, as Alan talked about on that metric earlier, you know, taking out defenders, getting the ball up to midfielders uh, so that we can, our attack can progress. And, um, you know, he did a, a, a really good job for, for it within that context. So he defended well. There wasn't a lot to do, obviously, given the opposition. But as far as breaking that press and uh, finding midfielders, I think I had him. I didn't have him, but I think Y Scout had him at like 20 uh, progressive passes. Uh, he had a progressive run as well. Um, he was effective in those progressive passes as well. I mean, he wasn't just lobbing up and losing possession. I mean, he was he was effective in getting the ball to the midfield to Kenny and taking out defenders. So I, I think that was um, really encouraging and hopefully uh, a sign of development. I mean, he is young enough at that position that he could still develop into that, hopefully. And, um, you know, let, let, let's just hope that's the case going forward. Yeah, we've spoken about Stephen Welsh on the show a couple of times already and what he's going to progress to be. And with this contract, I suppose it's a better better time than any to ask 
has he shown enough that he probably is going to develop into a player that Celtic can play on the regular in the four years that he's going to be at the club at least? So I don't know. I don't know about that. That so I think I'll, I'll certainly echo James's uh, comments about how he played in that game. He actually, for me, he actually completed sixteen pack passes, um, which is pretty high. It's a high number, right? It is a high number for anyone, even for a midfielder. That would be a high number. Um, what what I would say about um, Welsh is, and, and I, if we want to get onto that, we'll come back to the, the boy, the match maybe. But we start the conversation on Welsh. So let, let me just touch on him then. So, if you, I benchmarked him against my benchmark of Celtic centre halves, and those of you that are familiar with the Celtic by Numbers blog know that I look at two aggregated metrics: the defensive action success rate, and then the possession possessions won through defensive actions percentage. These are big mouthfuls, right? But essentially, they aggregate most of the key defensive um, activities. So things like aerial duels, tackles, interceptions, um, blocking shots, blocking crosses versus, you know, committing fouls, you know, so successful versus unsuccessful. It looks at both those sides of the equation to come up with percentages. And if you and if you plot them, uh, they, they really they, they really actually fit well the eye test. What I mean by that is in the top right hand corner, which is you know, what good looks like, you've got your Van Dykes, your Ayers, your Julians, your den- you know your deniers. In the bottom left, <laughs> sort of sad corner, you've got your Hendries, <laughs> as was. New Hendry might be better, hopefully he is. Your Hendries, your Ambroses. Now, if you were to plot, if, if I plot Welsh, and we're talking about 12 games, okay? So he's got around about 12 games worth of data. So, so you know, caution, right? But if you plot Welsh, he's kind of, you know, he's in the below average segment of that graph. He's kind of not quite in the middle class of your likes of your Sviachenkos, your, your Samunovic's, um, he's, and he's probably around about your Toure's at the moment. Now, I want to kind of, so that, that doesn't sound terribly, um, you know, positive. So, you know, and actually if you plot Welsh versus the four centre-halves that we've used this season, he would be at the bottom left versus Ayer, Julian, and even even Duffy by by those defensive metrics, right. but 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 there's one thing that's driving that, and J- and James touched on it, which is aerial duels. Okay, is that's the one thing that's driving him being low, uh, because the guy is. I, I think we discussed this before. We, I don't we know how how tall he is, but he looks about five eleven to me. He's, I, I don't, I'm not even sure if he's six foot sort of thing. I, th- I think he'd be the type of guy that would be saying that he's six foot uh, because he wants to <laughs> say like he's six foot, but he's yeah, really about five eleven. Yeah, I'm, I'm, right. five, I'm five eleven and three quarters. You know, so yeah, I, 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 I know that because I I'm the quite, exact same too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can't quite pull but, off six foot. But anyway, so if and, and and actually, you know, if you look at it in twelve matches, right? Welsh has lost as many aerial duels as Ayer did in forty-eight matches in the 1920 season. So that gives you a context for, he does, in relative to Celtic centre-halves, and Ayer isn't somebody who actually goes for, a, he doesn't tend to be the primary uh, jeweller, if you like. He tends, that tends to be you know, Julian's role or, or you know, in, in that, or Duffy as was. But another very good stat is he's actually lost zero uh, ground challenges in 12 matches. Now that's pretty impressive. Now, Centre halves, you know, you remember, remember, there used to be this stat. I think it was last season about you know Van Dyke. Nobody ever ran past Van Dyke. He was never, mm-hmm. he was never passed on the dribble. But actually, if you look at it, um, the, it doesn't actually happen very often anyway. It's, it's one of these things that doesn't, it, you know, it's like oh, I've never, you know, I've never been hit by a car. What well, sort of thing that happens that often anyway? So uh, centre halves don't generally 
have that many uh, ground jewels. Um, and in fact, his data is also enhanced by the fact, if you think about Ayer, Ayer goes on a lot of dribbles, a lot of ball progressions, which means he gets tackled. So he actually has a lot more uh, ground jewels than, than Walt Welsh, who doesn't tend to step forward. So you've got to bear that in context. But nevertheless, what he, what he, what he lacks in aerial ability, he seems to be very competent on the, on the ground. The other, the other side to it, I, I do track uh, defensive errors. I just want to touch on defensive errors in terms of just a bit of a definition. It is actually, a, you know, it sounds all very scientific, this, but it is actually a judgment call because, you know, if somebody wanted to pay me money and give me the equipment, I could sit and analyse um, a defensive setup and pick up things like, well, you know, when that corner came in, Ayer should have been five yards further to the left. And you might argue that that's a defensive error. I'm not tracking that. I can't. I don't have the time. Uh, and it, it's too difficult to do in the context of what, what we're trying to achieve here. So when I talk about defensive errors, these are really glaring errors. So think about Ambrose. Ambrose passing the ball blind across yes, the box yes. to Christie to, <laughs> for Christie to score that sixth goal. That's clearly a defensive error. So I'm, I'm looking at things like that, or where you've you know you've 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 left your man at a corner, or it's really obvious stuff. Okay. Yeah. By the defensive error stat, Welsh is within tolerance. So I've got a, I've got a benchmark of round about um, essentially uh, one defensive error every two matches. And you tend to find that the, the players, again, the players like your Julian, your Ayers, your Van Dykes are kind of less than that. And then your, you know, your, your Boyatas are slightly kind of around. Most of them, a lot of people are around about that kind of average. And then you've got Duffy at like 1.2 errors per 90 minutes, which is like way off the scale. Um, Hence so Welsh, the name Welsh, of the Duffer Award. <laughs> yeah, well, Welsh is within, Welsh is just under that, yeah. under that sort of 0.5, I think it's 0.47. So that's, that's decent. Because if you think about mm. the context of the games he's played when he was thrown in, against uh, Milan and Lille and, and played against the Rangers uh, a few times as well. So I think that's that's decent. The other piece I want to pass on, which we've, we, we've kind of hinted at, is the passing. And this is something that I think James, you know, raised as a concern earlier in the season. And it's something I've kept an eye on. And I think it's something that, to credit to him, you know, he's uh, getting better at. So if you look at all of the centre-halves uh, that, that I've been tracking over the last X, X number of years, six years, um, none of them, in the time that I've been doing pack passing, none of them average more than uh, just under 10, sort of nine and a half pack passes per game. Welsh is averaging uh, 11, over 11. So he's actually leading all the centre-halves that we've seen in a small sample, but mm-hmm. against some good opposition in progressive passes. And that's, 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 that's worth something. And But the thing is, he's also got a high pass accuracy. So what he's not doing is like Duffy trying the glory 50-yard diagonal Glenn Hoddle-type pass, for those of you that are as old as me and remember Glenn Hoddle. Uh, what, he's, what he's actually doing is, is, is actually short passing, but passing which nevertheless breaks the lines. So that, that was a great example on uh, Saturday against Livingston. 16 pack passes, nine of them were to Kenny. Now, you might think, okay, what does that mean? Well, he's, he's taking out one, one or two people every time he does that. So immediately, he's taking two people out of the game. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favourite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl and afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
Oh, man. That's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now Kenny's got the ball. And now there's only eight players between Kenny and the goal. That matters, right? That, mean, that means that you know, there's, less, there's less defensive cover. So I really like that, that side of his game. Um, the other side of his game, I think we've touched on before for me about Welsh, is that the, sort of the, non, the non-statistical uh, eye test would say he seems very calm, he seems organised, and he doesn't do the things that, for example, Duffy does. He doesn't, he doesn't you know, try to do things he's not capable of doing. He's, he seems quite... His decision-making is good, I guess, is what I'm saying. It seems to be good. And, uh, you know, he's physically quite robust. So I, I think I said it before, I, th- I quite like him up against Morelos. They're, physical, they're about the same height, uh, and they're probably physical is, is um, similar in physical build. I think it's a good matchup for him. So all, all, all that said then, his overall defensive stats are not massively impressive. There is a massive caveat to that. It is down to his aerial ability. Does that aerial ability matter at the end of the day? You know, some might argue that we went out and got Duffy on purely on the basis that Julian got bothered by two big guys last season. I mean, what a ridiculous, if that was the case, what a ridiculous way to, to run a football club. But I think the fact that the way I would, the way I would summarize it for me is I'm, I don't know who, who gets what, who gets paid what at Celtic, but I've got a vague idea of the sort of structure. I'm, I'm going to suggest that a young Scottish guy that's cost virtually nothing in, in terms of you know, fees, just the development cost, who's probably on around five, six grand a week on his new contract, is better than somebody who's probably going to have cost two million quid on 15 grand a week um, from, let's say, Scandinavia or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, that's a better outcome and that's a great piece of business for Celtic. But is he going to be first choice? I, I just don't see it. But, you know, I think he's certainly deserved his contract. Mm-hmm. That's the first and last time that Shane Duffy will be compared to Glenn Hoddle in any <laughs> sort of sort of way at all. Because I, I'd like to apologise to Glenn Hoddle for the <laughs> the the association with uh, Shane Duffy in terms of his style of play. But yeah, look, they make a lot of good points there, Alan. Like I, what, you know, it, it's a small sample size. He's still young, so there's still place to develop. But I suppose one argument you can make about the aerial duels is that maybe the passing stats is more important because, you know, nine times out of 10 Celtic are probably going to be dominating the game possession wise anyway. And you'd, you'd focus more on that than like you, you'd see more of the mistakes or more of the weaknesses. If you went for a player like Shane Duffy, who's really good in the air, but not good at the other stuff. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts with these players. James, what's your thoughts? Well, I'll interlace two concepts here, as I'm apt to do, and throw a, a, a bomb into this conversation. So, you know, to me, if you look at, and I think I mentioned this early on when we first started talking about Welsh, I, I think his upside profiles as a right center back in a back three. So that that would be his path to kind of a Celtic level career at center back. Is that if he's able to develop? Um, you know, if, 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 if I go around and I did this back when we were looking at and ultimately, unfortunately signed, uh, Duffy in looking at benchmarking back threes, which at that point, that was kind of the supposition that, um, we'd be playing three, five, two with, uh, either Julian or Duffy playing at right center back. And my criticism was, well, you know, I, I can't find any other coherent three, you know, team that's playing three at the back that have those two types of center backs playing those two type of roles. Whereas 
uh, it's not unusual for an Inter Milan under a Conte to have a, a, a center back at right center back that, I mean, I'm not comparing Welsh to um, who Inter Milan has at right center back at, at, uh, at present, but, you know, kind of that 5'10", 5'11", maybe six foot, more mobile, able to progress the ball, maybe a little bit more passing centric. Um, that's why I thought and argued that Beton was okay in that role uh, the vast majority of the time because he actually is quite good at, at um, ball progression and the, that kind of pack passing and taking out defenders. And, you know, you're less exposed defensively um, usually with that kind of setup. Um, so I think that would be the the upside. Now that speaks to, this is the bomb I'm throwing in. That speaks to, you know, if we're going to have an Eddie Howe come in and play a flat four, four, two, I don't understand why you would sign somebody like uh, Welsh, right? So again, this comes back to organizational structure, coherence, um, you know, all of the stuff I just talked about and saying, you know, I'm kind of positive on Welsh with that conditionality of what kind of role he's going to have, even as a depth piece, if, if the primary and concentrated focus of a, of a club is going to play four at the back, I don't understand why you would sign Welsh to a four-year contract. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Because again, he's not getting taller. Yeah, <laughs> you know what well, I mean. It, you, 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 you're, you know, it, 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 his vertical leap's not going to go up five inches. So the fact that he's already having this degree of aerial dual issues at his age in Scotland, where the aerial game I don't think is going to become a relic of the past uh, anytime soon, um, you know, so that. As happy as I am for him, this goes back to this idea of who's in charge, where's the coherent plan, like we're just throwing out contracts to guys, and does it make sense relative to who's going to be the manager, you know, what's the philosophy, you know, and that's, it was like the things that we've heard in that regard in the last month is basically, well, we've given Welsh a contract, okay, good for him, but does it make sense, and we were, we, we were begging, like, you know, a love scorned 16 year old with their first girlfriend for Scott Brown to play another year. You know, it's like, well, how did that make any coherent plan relative to Eddie Howe coming in? I mean, there could not be a less applicable midfielder to play Eddie Howe's system in a flat four, four, two than a 36 year old Scott Brown. Yeah. I mean, that would just make absolutely no sense. So I would, I would argue that, you know, from a business business perspective, bringing Stephen Welsh on a four-year contract, nails him down to a, a long-term contract that if he develops to, maybe not to the extent of Celtic, but to the extent of a, a good uh, Scottish club, then they'll get a lot more money for him than they would. Uh, uh, see, I'm going to disagree with the end because this has been the, the, the Peter Lawwell trap, which is we sign these guys for contracts without any kind of coherent plan. And then we got nowhere to go for him because no one in Scotland's going to pay him six grand a week. Mm. They can't. Right. So, you know, unless he develops into the absolute best part of version of him and somebody's going to, you know, dole out a, for a right center back in Scotland, they're going to dole out six grand a week or five grand a week. Probably not. So that's, you know, that's where we get these guys like Scott Allen, uh, guys like, um, you know, the Hendersons, you know, we've had this litany of guys who were good SPFL level players that we signed to long-term deals in their early twenties. And then they basically rot 
Their careers rot because we've paid them too much. They're not good enough for the Celtic level. And, you know, it's this because we haven't had a coherent loan department or strategy or whatever we're doing, you know, they end up going out on these kind of incoherent, sporadic loans. And then it, it isn't good for anybody. I guess that's my point. And, and I, I hope it works out for him. But what are the chances that we go to a three at the back system um, and he grows into a right center back? I mean, I'd love to see it. But, you know, again, to me, it's we need a plan first. Then you fit the players into the plan. So, yeah, so I was, I was, I was, I was trying to uh, stick to the narrow topic of discussing Stephen Welsh's performance, yeah, sorry. With, with, and, 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 ruin, and ruining the mood by getting back into the into the, right. <laughs> the structural issues about Celtic FC uh, uh, company organisation, which I, I, I don't disagree with. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll move on to the Duffer off the game then. The Livingston six 0 It's hard to pick out. It seems oh. unfair to pick out a, a Duffer off the. No, no, it isn't. It isn't. Trust um, me. <laughs> So, I oh, well, you, you've teamed me up nicely there then. Go, go ahead. Who is your duffer of the week? Well, I mean, I, I was actually, because I was enjoying the game, I was even laughing uh, to see, um, you know, Edward's Oliver Burke impression as the, as the first half went on. I can't claim credit for this, but the, 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 the description of Oliver Burke as uh, like, like watching Oliver Burke is like watching a baby elephant trying, trying to trap a, you know, a... a <laughs> An inflatable ball. <laughs> it was very apt for Edward's first half performance, which was just painful, absolutely painful. But I think, um, you know, there he gave the ball away 10 times in the first half, which is very, and he averages four <laughs> for a match, four misplaced passes a match. He's actually averaged giving the ball away 10 times uh, over the last three appearances. And I've got this fear that um, that kind of carelessness, that that almost kind of, I mean, it's lazy to call it laziness. It's just because he's got a very kind of laid back demeanour about him. But that sort of imprecision and that um, uh, lack of care, if you like, with the ball is a tell, is one of Edward's tells that he's just not on it. And I do wonder, because um, there has been a little bit of chatter isn't there, in the press about different clubs potentially bidding for him. And this has all happened since the beginning of April. I don't know if there's things happening in the background, but to me, Edouard's last three performances. Now, listen, even even Edouard playing really, really poorly, uh, he, he still managed to put, you know, one glorious assist. I mean, that looped past De Forest for, for the first goal. Um, he's still got an expected scoring contribution, which is expected assists plus expected goals. He was still at 0.7, which is decent. I mean, his average last season was 1.2. So 0.7 is poor uh, by his standards, but it's good for a Celtic. It's decent for a Celtic striker. So he's still he's still, he's still contributing something. But that sloppiness, that poor execution, uh, I, I think, uh, is, a, is a, as I say, is a tell that, that his head's not quite right. And... Uh, you know, he, he was by far, by far the duffer of the match for me. Jim, do you agree? Yeah, I'm going to echo. I, I have a, I'll add kind of a higher time frame issue that I can get concerned about. So I, I referenced, um, you know, his his positioning and and the the general issue relative to the Rangers narrow four three three. You know, whether and you know Turnbull's probably a little better on the turn and collecting ball to feet, but. You know, he's probably not quite where he needs to be yet as a number 10 in that regard. Um, so that gives me the fear coming into the weekend. But 
I've talked um, in the past and written in the uh, in the past about it was about a ten day uh, ten game period uh, that was the best of the last um, six seasons. So basically, through from Dyla's last season forward, which was uh, the fall of of last season, where you had Bolongoli at left back, you had Elunusi fit and firing as the left wing, and you had Edward um, at striker and healthy, and and obviously Forrest on the right. And by far, that w- I mean that sticks out as the best performance, um, underlying performance that we had and that that happens to coincide with beating uh drawing with Ren, beating Ren, uh who were pretty high up at the French at that point, the 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 win over um Lazio. Um so even during that stretch, Edouard has not been as involved in Celtics play when he's played in that system. Right. So it was more so how well Bolongoli interacted and built up and and the ball moved um, with Elianusi, and Elianusi's output was excellent during that period. And conversely, Forrest was excellent. And Edward's movement and the space created and that kind of thing facilitated and helped. Um, but it wasn't that Edward's output specifically and directly was the main driver of it. It was more of like a network effect of of co- the collective that was really firing. And like I said, uh, what that system did for Elianusi and Forrest. Um, so, and then you also had, you know, Christie and then Cham at the 10 at that point, kind of rotating in and out and doing fairly well. So my concern has been and remains, I'm just, I don't think the four, three or four, two, three, one, the way we've been playing it. Um, and with Taylor on the left relative to a, let's say a bowling goalie, uh, is not ideal. And, and I, I get, I agree with Alan. I mean, it, even within, that context, he, he was quite sloppy on the ball. Um, but I'm not sure that that this is where I, you know, was we look forward to the weekend and we'll do it on a, on a, a preview show. Um, you know, the big question for me is what system and who's playing, because if, we, if we line up four, two, three, one, I'm, you know, it's definition of insanity kind of thing. <laughs> We've tried it over and over again and it's not working. So again, I, I think within the context of Edward, um, a big part of that high performance on the average was because of what he posted last season in three, five, two. And, and if you look at his output when he was in four, two, three, one, it was good. I mean, it's still better than what he posted um, on the weekend, but it, it it's, it's just a different animal for him. I, I don't think yeah. he necessarily suits that system at Celtic, the way we've been playing. I'm not saying he can't be a soul striker somewhere, um, but the way, you know, it's been, he's been used with, with at Celtic, I think, um, that that's important context for, for a game like the weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't think he uh, just going on the eye test alone, he doesn't suit that system. He never has really. And I, I think he always benefits from having someone up front beside him because he can get on the ball more. He can drop back a, a little bit more without taking up other people's space. The last thing I'll say is um, I think back to the difference under Kennedy and some of the great, positives that have come out is and alan talked about off the ball and the movement it, it, I, I would agree but with a specific um uh development of people actually running beyond mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, actually having guys you know these guys dropping whether it's elianusi forest or or edward and then having people actually make runs 
where, you know, I mean, how many times have we talked about in the past where we'd see guys in space have the ball and guys, you know, guys like Christy just standing there looking at them yeah, and not yeah, making yeah. runs. So, I mean, t- t- Turnbull scored a goal from the touching the goal line. You know, he, he was, he was, you know what I mean? So I, I, I think there's this, the seeds, what we saw on, and again, I'm, I'm probably being optimistic just because I'm sick of being pessimistic, but I, I saw the seeds of a front three with great movement and great interchange that there's no reason that Edward wouldn't flourish. And I just, just think he had a terrible game <laughs> but right. sy- systematically i think that has a chance that, that front three Agreed. Well, what, what, he, he was my duffer for coming in too ender so that that yeah 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 but he's he's, he's not going to be a 10 out of 10 every game so i you know he's, he's going to be he's going to be gone at the end of the season so you know we'll appreciate I'm just, what I'm, just, I'm just worried that as i say i think it's a tell you know when his head's mm-hmm. just not quite there it's three games now i would say and um, you know he needs to he needs to get up. We've got some important games coming, and mm-hmm. yes, he might be away at the end of the season, but we need need him back to his best. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just before we finish up, I'm afraid the time's coming against us. But one of the stats that was doing the rounds on social media during the week was um, David Turnbull and his key passing. And I know James, I I want to I, I I'm asking this question specifically to you because I know yeah. you like debunking these things. So David Turnbull, it was revealed that he had the third highest amount of key passes in Europe ahead of the likes of. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, ahead of a couple other key players in the top five European leagues. But is this that necessarily what it says on the tin? Well, this this is why I always uh, try to stress the importance of delineating between statistics and the domain of analytics. (laughs) Um, And they are discrete. So you need to be able to, you know, know how to how to take stats and and put them in context to draw analytical conclusions so on its face i mean it, it tells what it tells i mean if you're asking a question who's had the most shot assists for in the season uh actually i think they had their number wrong for for messi i think that was uh i think the one for uh turnbulls in all competitive competitions whereas i think the messi's is not even high enough for his just la liga but anyway i digress um you know a lot of his shot assists are from corners, a disproportionate, I think well over half, I think actually, um, to my knowledge, Messi doesn't take corners and neither does Bruno Fernandez. Right. So we've, we've talked about and glowingly about how good Turnbull is on set pieces and how he could maybe be even world-class in that regard. Um, uh, so, but on average, even if you're a great deliverer of corners, it's just a low probability uh, shot creation um, uh, opportunity. I mean, it just it just is. Um, so, if you look at let's say XA per per uh, key pass, for example, um, he's about half of Messi, a little less than half of of Messi. So, you know, to to put him up there with a Messi and Fernand- Fernandez too. I mean, Fernandez, I think he's like sixty percent lower than Fernandez on on quality of chances. So the fact that, and that's, that comes back to the idea that, you know, over half of his shot assists are from corners. So yeah. just by definition, they're going to be lower quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, Messi's doing it from open play and he's freaking messy. <laughs> he's also doing it in La Liga in the Champions League. Whereas, uh, you know, Turnbull basically hasn't really played anybody of a high level. I mean, he played in the Lille game in the second um, Lille game that, that we won, but um you know, he's had a couple against Rangers, but overall, I mean, it's an apples to oranges kind of thing. So it's good clickbait for Celtic supporters. Uh, get a lot of people to click on it and look at it and 
Uh, it's a good for a conversation starter, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I wouldn't draw the direct conclusion that he's anywhere in the universe of Fernandez and, and is, uh, Messi. Is, is expected assists, and this is total expected assists across all types of passes, is lower than Rogic and Christie. So I have no idea where this is coming from. First, per, I've heard per, of it. Yeah, per, per that's per ninety minutes. Yeah, this was just yeah, a yeah. raw number. This is just a oh, raw number of key oh, it's passes. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Yeah. It's yeah. utterly meaningless. If it's not per 90 minutes, you know, if you've played every match, I mean, Callum McGregor has probably completed more passes than any other player in the world because he plays every bloody game. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean, it doesn't actually tell you anything about Callum McGregor's passing. Yeah. So, the the you know, one thing I, the, the one thing I will say about, um, and again, it's, it's, it comes back to drawing conclusions. I, I think it does speak to how good of a, of a deliverer of the ball from corners he is. Meaning that the fact that we've had that many shots, I mean, how many, you know, prior to him taking them, how many did we have balloon over and we don't even get a, a header attempt? Yeah. Well, just to put it in context, he's, he creates 1.1, 1. 1.1 chances from corner passes per match. Right. Okay. Which is great. And I don't, I doubt I'll, I'll have anyone, if I go look back through the data, who's got anywhere near one. Right. <laughs> but it's still one. <laughs> it's still like, it's not like 10. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about a very marginal thing here. And, you know, his expected assists overall, which is 0.37, is really good. Um, you know what? In terms of expected assists, I think there's only Messi in the last ten years that consistently gets above 0.4 expected assists per ninety minutes. Point four is like the gold. Point four is like the yeah. gold standard for expected assists per ninety minutes, and very few players hit point four. I, I think Christie did last season, actually, funnily enough. But um, and he's not far off this season. So let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's ponder on that one. Well. <laughs> Ryan Christie is up there with Lionel Messi and David Turnbull is an expert of Fernandez. If you want to take one thing from this podcast this week, it's that. That, that, is, that is a fact and there's no there's no debating it at all. That is the huddle breakdown for this week. We will be looking ahead to the Rangers game coming up this weekend, tomorrow or wherever. You, whenever you're listening to this, there will be a preview show for the Rangers game as well. So that'll be up in the usual channels as well. If you want to follow us, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can get us at huddle breakdown or you can subscribe to us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast as well. Thanks for listening and we'll chat to you later.
This isn't just basketball. This is the NBA playoffs. And with William Hill Sportsbook, you can dial up the playoff intensity from the palm of your hand. Just download the William Hill mobile app and your first bet of up to $500 is risk-free using promo code RADIORF. New users only. Must be 21 years or older and present in Virginia to bet. Paid in free bets. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. William Hill Sportsbook. Proud partner of the NBA. Let's make it interesting. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.